Konnichiwa, my friends. Thanks for tuning in to another podcast episode of Master Samurai Tech Radio. This is a podcast for appliance techs by appliance techs. Today is August 31st, 2015, and this is episode five. We're your hosts, Samurai Appliance Repairman. And Mrs. Samurai, and we run MasterSamuraiTech.com and Appliantology.org. That's right, and you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or subscribe to our YouTube channel. We also post the podcast episodes there, along with numerous other illuminating videos that I do, instructional and stuff from service calls. They're more than illuminating. They're life-changing. They are. Oh, life-changing. I love that. Okay, very good. See, that's, that's why you're helping me do this. But I want to also mention that this is not our first podcast incarnation. No, this ain't our first rodeo. No, we done rode this rodeo before, and that was back in fixitnow.com Samurai Appliance Repairman Radio. We had a whole podcast there, which is also on iTunes. But that was many moons ago. Back in the mists of time. Yeah, we're talking like uh, 2006, where most of them, and then we had um, like a few years later, we did a We're Back episode. Which, <laughs> no. That was it. (laughs) That was it. So for a while. But um, one of the things that was, and I've been asked about this, is why I'm bringing this up. One of the things that I brought up in one of the episodes of that previous incarnation was a pessimistic outlook for the appliance repair trade. And now, you know, in this uh, podcast episode, Master Samurai Tech Radio podcast, we're talking about a very bright outlook in the appliance repair trade for particular appliances for some segment of appliances that are created right i mean we wouldn't have started master samurai tech in the samurai tech academy last year if we thought that it was a dying trade no exactly and that was kind of the pessimism but again that was a long time ago relatively speaking 2006 and now here we are 2015 so what's changed well i think back then that's when all of the electronification the computerization of appliances was kind of just getting going and it was i wasn't really seeing back then where it was all headed as i thought this was going to make it all just cheapened junk and all throwaway items and it turns out that it's actually created a bifurcation yes it has created that Mm -hmm. segment of the of the product offerings in the appliance industry But it's also created a whole line of what we've talked about in a previous episode, the affordable luxury brand. This is all driven, all of the appliances now are going this way with computerization primarily driven by the DOE Energy Star requirements. So they're trying, they're implementing these computers in order to micromanage things like water usage in wet appliances, motor energy consumption uh, for the various motors used in appliances. So... And it's actually created a lot much more interesting troubleshooting situation. We've had to um, learn a lot new tech, a lot of new technology, mm-hmm. and it's created this bifurcation. I call it where you got basically two strata. Uh, you've got the you do have your throwaway items. You know the Whirlpool vertical modular washer. Pretty much any repair gets into uh, over half the replacement cost on that machine. Many customers opt to just throw it out and get a new one. Um, That's been my experience with that machine anyway. Maybe other people have different experiences, and certainly under warranty, there's a lot of repairs being done. But um, Right, and a lot of our focus back in those days, because of the the state of the industry at that point in time, was helping do-it-yourselfers because we thought, well, that's, you know, on these these cheaper machines, that's going to be the only thing that makes a lot of sense is for people to fix them themselves. Right, and fixitnow.com was all about DIYers. Right, so I just wanted to say that in case techs wanted to go back and listen to those. They, they had a different focus than these it's current true. podcasts. And even though uh, fixitnow.com is, and it's not an active site anymore, it's still up there, but I don't post to it anymore. Uh, even though it, its focus was on DIYers, a lot of tech still went there and got a lot of help oh, because sure. I was I was doing a lot of um, technical posts explaining current problems with current models going on that were like um, you know every model has its weak point and I would be posting highlighting some of those with videos and photos and annotated photos and um, just and explanations and sometimes uh, have links to the actual service bulletins so it was a tech resource as well. 
Oh, right. But our, our focus now has incre is increasingly on text because of these I would say primarily. The, right, exactly. Primarily on tech. With MasterSamuraiTech.com, uh, it's all about tech training. With Appliantology.org, it is now fully focused on tech support. And we, uh, we do allow DIYers to come and register for free and post, but their posts are always moderated. And Full to mingle with the superstars. Yeah, yeah. They can, and they, it's open for them to read and things like that. But the, the site mainly caters to uh, professional appliance repair technicians. Right, because that's where the industry has gone now. That's the right. need. It's so complicated. Working on these things now is so complicated that unless uh, the modern appliances I'm talking about, things, mm -hmm. <laughs> that unless you have the tech sheet, Unless you know how to interpret and use the, the technical information in that tech sheet and read the schematics, you're, it's really almost like, and I'm seeing this at Appliantology, it, it, you're lost. There's no way you're going to be able to troubleshoot what's going on. First of all, you're not going to be able to talk to the computer that's running that appliance. You're not going to be able to, to, to uh, interpret the error codes. You're not going to be able to make voltage measurements at specific places on that control board checking for inputs and outputs. The, this, these are non-optional parts of the troubleshooting process today. There is no just, oh, let's do a Hail Mary and replace this part. It's got to be the control board, right? And let's replace this part and hope we're right. You can't do that these days. And no. so we're seeing, I'm seeing this at Appliantology a lot, uh, that people come by, well, how do I, uh, you know, they, they have a temperature control problem in a refrigerator. First thing we have them do is, well, you got to check the thermistors. There's no getting around. How do I check the thermistors? Well, Okay, if you don't have the thermistor temperature response chart, you don't know what the thermistor does, it's like, where do you start? How far back do you go with that? That's why we're focusing on techs, tech training and tech support. Uh, the, the, the appliances and the, the technology used in the appliances have gotten so beyond the casual DIYer uh, in most cases for most repairs, unless it's something very simple and, and replaceable or it's a, it's, a, it's a slam dunk problem. Right. That it's just, there's no sense in getting into troubleshooting with them because there's so much background skills that they need to have in order to do the troubleshooting. Yep. Exactly. So, okay. Uh, enough on that one. I hope that explains that one. And let's move on to industry news and trends. And you've All got right. some interesting tidbits for us over there. Yeah. I'm going to talk about dishwashers today. Uh, I was reading a, a article over at Yale Appliances blog. They put out a lot of stuff that's interesting. Um, that was talking about dishwasher cycles. And this is good information for your customers because a lot of them are wondering Dishwa how Like come, cycle lengths or different Yeah, okay. how come my dishwasher runs so much longer than the last dishwasher I had? Ah. Um, and it's because dishwashers today are much more energy efficient, of course, as we know, using about a third of the water. So I didn't realize this. A third of the water compared to... Compared to uh, the older ones that used... 15 to 18 gallons per wash and wow. now they use like four to six gallons uh, wow. over just about a, a decade or so and so because what they used to do is to just fill up wash for a while dump that water fill up you know repeat uh, mm -hmm. now they have built-in sensors that monitor the soil levels in the water as it's being filtered and reused um, so that leads to longer cycle times uh, and because the, the, they don't mention it here, but you've told me the, the motors are less. Um, they're using much lower horsepower motors. I mean, right. Real, so that's small, dinky little motors. So they're not the concept where it used to be the idea was, oh, we're going to put some dishes in there and then sandblast them clean. We can generate a lot of water pressure and just spray um, through the uh, spray arms water at high pressure at the dishes. And, and so it was a whole different concept of doing mm -hmm. dishes back then. There was a lot of mechanical action going on. Now it's a whole, the, the idea is, hey, let the detergent do its job. They're, so yeah. they're using not only less water, but they're using much less horsepower. Now they drizzle the water on the dishes and they let it sit and they let the detergent do its work. And then they, they, they move it around, spray the water around, but at much lower pressure. Right, so this means they're more energy efficient, but it also means there's a lot more complicated parts. I mean, there's mm -hmm. all these sensors and decision makers and things. Here that, again, you need a computer board to monitor all yeah. of these, the, this little symphony of operations going on. Yep. And so, uh, and it also means that people really do need to be using good detergent. You know, we were talking about those products in the last episode. Um, right, they need to be. It needs to be fresh and the the right kind, and not this this eco junk, which doesn't do anything. But uh, I mean, a good product, for example, like um, Finish mm -hmm. in, in the um, 
That's what we use uh, in the uh, little tablets. Yeah, the quantum. Quantum, fish quantum, right? Yes. So, so that's all good stuff to know from a service point of view, but also, you know, to communicate to your customers what is different about today's customer education. It adds value to your service call. Any kind of little tidbits like that. So, if you're on a dishwasher call and you explain these this, these things to your customers, it it uh, not only it enhances their value perception of the service you're providing because oh, he's really knowledgeable. He's obviously been to training on this, and now he's communicating it to me. Right. Uh, and then speaking of dishwashers, uh, Sub-Zero is reportedly looking into coming out with an upscale dishwasher that would sell in the range yeah. of about two grand. Wow. I mean, so this is like shades of decor. I mean, decor went this way years ago, and it was, a, it was actually a 36-inch dishwasher, if I'm remembering right. It was, an, it was an oddball size. It was like wider than the standard dishwasher mm. width, and it was a huge debacle. Almost bankrupted the company. Almost wow. broke them just in the recalls they had to do and taking them back and just giving people their money back and buy, you know, in some case, buying them a replacement dishwasher. And it was just, it almost bankrupted them. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, to come out with an oddball size yeah. is definitely an odd choice because unless you're building out a new kitchen, right. you need it to fit in that standard, what, uh, 24 inch? Yep, space? standard dishwasher width is 24 inches. Okay, then yeah, that was an odd thing to do. So according to this article, Sub-Zero is going to source their technology from Bosch and ASCO. And of course... Oh, not, not ASCO. ASCO, oh no. Yeah, that's our, that's our uh, saying for ASCO. Yeah. Um, so it will feature, of course, a stainless tub, mm -hmm. stainless front, capacitive touch controls. What does that mean? It's a type of control panel that would okay. be good to talk about on, on one of our tech segments. And then, an, this, is the, this cracks me up, an LED which projects the cycle time onto the floor. What the heck? Well, the, you're seeing a lot of that, actually. Uh, oh, yeah? Samsung's doing this with some of their refrigerators, not onto the floor, but it's actually a projection onto the stainless steel surface of the refrigerator. Oh, my goodness. Putting the temperatures up there. We're getting fancy out there. Yeah, real fancy. The, um, does it have a softener? A lot of the Ascos have, and Mila's have softeners in them, water softeners. It, I wouldn't be surprised, but it doesn't it doesn't okay. have any more details. But just for any of you techs out there that thought, you know, well, I, I don't work on Sub-Zeros because they're mostly those fancy built-in fridges. Well, they might be coming out with other products. Another line, something else to keep track of and keep, be aware of. That's another example of how the trade is always changing, and we got to change with it and keep up with it. And you can't just dismiss stuff that they come out with because you why why lose market share like that? Exactly. And the, the households that have sub-zeros in them are generally the households that are going to have that upper strata of appliances that you want to work on, that a, that a profitable repair business is built on, not fixing the bottom feeder lower strata of appliances where they're mostly throwaways. Right. So. That's where we are. Well, I'll tell you where we are. We are at the time for our first break. So... Let's uh, head out now, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You are listening to Master Samurai Tech Radio. Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. And welcome back to Master Samurai Tech Radio. You know, here it is, what, what did I say the date was? August, August 31st. Yes, last day of August. And next, what, Monday is going to be Labor Day? A week from today. Seems like we should do something special for Labor Day. Oh, hmm. I know. What? I know. What? What? Let's have a sale. Hey, everyone, let's have a Labor Day sale. That's a cool thing to do. Except in our case, we, we do tuition discounts over at MasterSamuraiTech.com, Samurai Tech Academy. Yes. Tuition discount on any course? I don't know what. Five percent? Oh no, we need to do more than that. These guys six, labor hard. Six percent. Six percent. Seven point two. Let's make it an even ten. All right. Ten percent. Ten percent tuition discount starting when today? Right now. Okay, Mark. 
And so, so we'll do a 10% tuition discount off any course or course bundles mm-hmm. over at mastersamuraitech.com. Just mouse over the courses in the main menu and you'll see what we offer there. On the checkout, enter the coupon code... Labor Day 2015. No spaces between any of the words or numbers. Just Right. Labor say, Day 2015. No spaces. All run together. And it doesn't matter if it's all caps or lowercase or mix thereof. It will be interpreted. And on the enroll page, if you use that, it will deduct 10% from the tuition. Now, What a deal. You know, for all of us laborers out there, we deserve it. We're all a bunch of hard-working dudes and dudettes. Oh, yeah. So it's good through Labor Day. Good through Labor Day, starting right now. So jump on it. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, just remind people about the jobs and resume listing section over at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Yes, it's very active. Well, on the job listings. Got tons of job listings over there. I mean, it just it's this thing we've been talking about. I mean, good, skilled appliance techs are in extremely short supply. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... MST students and graduates, make sure you make use of the resume section so you can hook up with some of these national, nationwide, mm-hmm. in some cases, um, offerings. And there's a mix. It's smaller it's, scale businesses yep. as well as the big guys. So but By smaller scale, we mean more localized, but multi-truck operations and very successful mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of these cases. So And, they're right. looking, and they offer great benefits. I mean, and you don't have to already have graduated. No, right. Yeah, as long as you're a student. Employers are looking for students who are learning and know the kinds of things that we're teaching, that they are learning at the Samurai Tech Academy. Exactly. So I also want to move on to so some tips for using Appliantology, our tech support site, appliantology.org. I'm seeing this problem come up over and over again where you know one of the big strengths of Appliantology is people can search for and download service manuals, tech sheets, I mean, all kinds of tech literature, bulletins and things like that. The key I said there was search. And I'm just seeing, it's amazing to me, a lot of guys do not get this idea of searching. I have put, if you go over to the service manual request forum uh, at appliantology.org, on the homepage there, just scroll down, service manual request form. If you're a tech member, you have access to that forum. There is a conspicuous link up top there that explains how to search. It says, please search the uh, tech, please search the download section mm-hmm. before posting a request. That link takes you to a page with a video that I made, a little screencast video. It's like a minute long or something, a minute, minute and a half, something like that, and shows you in detail how to search. I'm going to explain it to you here, and hopefully this maybe will get through and some other people who have not uh, clicked and watched the screencast, but... For, the site is all about search, appliantology, but it searches a little differently than a lot of people used to Google search, which is a natural language search. Mm-hmm. Searching the download section at appliantology, you use, it's more of an exact pattern search, it's, it's, it's in fact, or a, or a fuzzy pattern search, but it's a pattern search. So in other words, you've got, you can have a model number, a truncated model number, that means not the complete model number. Right, the first portion of it x number of characters for so you could try with the full model number first and if you find nothing do you just give up no you go search again you you maybe hit the back uh delete key on a few of those characters and then you enter the wild card character which is the asterisk shift eight so you'll have a partial model number immediately followed by the asterisk that asterisk asterisk is a wild card and what that is telling the the software that runs the site is you're, going to, you're looking for everything to the left of this asterisk, and then anything to the right, it doesn't matter what that is. You can match it, but as long as it's got this stuff in the front, it's going to match it. So it doesn't. So that, that's what we call a truncated model number, a partial model number with the wild card, and it's going to match anything that has uh, those that first portion of the model number, model number in it, and then anything after it. Right, so you're much sense? more likely to find what you need. So if you put entered A, B, C, D, asterisk, it would find anything that had a model number that started with A, B, C, D, no matter what. Exactly. Thank afterwards. you. Yes, that's it. Exactly. And so, and what that means is you need to be a little persistent. You don't just give up after one or two searches. You keep shortening your model number, and so maybe maybe you bracket it. You do what's called a bracketing, and so you go to a very very short model number after, as your second search, and you see what you're pulling up. In that case, you might pull up too much stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you narrow down the results by adding a character and the asterisk and and, see, and watching your results narrow down. As tech members, you have unlimited downloads. You also have unlimited searchings. And I 
and I think there's no flood control enabled for tech members. So you can sit there and search drill all you want. Now, uh, like Grasshopper, free members, they've got flood control. So they can do a search. They have to wait like 15 seconds before they can search again because we don't want free members tying up all of the computing resources. Right. From a CPU standpoint, search is expensive because it's, it's very intensive use of the CPU. But this is part of what tech members pay for. They, they can sit there and drill down and search and keep searching. Grasshoppers can search, and then they have to wait a little bit so they're not tying up the resources for the tech members, which are the ones that the site is made for. Yes. So I hope that's clear. Um, the, use the search. It's a very powerful feature. And by the way, you search for the, the, ma the manuals that you want for, in the download section, upper right-hand corner of the screen, where your username is. Make sure you're logged in. If you're a tech member, you will see your username in the upper right-hand corner of that screen. And that's the search box you want to use, not the big... Um, search box is more in the middle of the screen. Upper right-hand corner, that's where everything happens. That's your control console, upper right-hand corner. By the way, it's the same thing at Master Samurai Tech, upper right-hand corner, yep. control console. It's kind of a web standard. And just make sure that um, the little uh, window in that search box, a little flag is, is highlighted that says downloads. And you can do that by either clicking the gear in the search box and selecting downloads or going to the download section and then doing your search there, either one but you want to make sure you're searching the download section for the model number you're interested in. Right. Yep, that's that's what you have to learn to do with these. When you have a really in-depth, rich database that can be really life-changing, it means that you have to learn how to find what you need. Right. Search is key. It's a, it's, it, you know, the whole internet's driven by search. Unfortunately, a lot of people have been spoiled by Google, which uh, uses natural language search. But that's a very sophisticated algorithm, and that's uh, not uh, how it's done at Appliantology because that's, uh, that's proprietary, way more sophisticated search uh, technique than um, search power than uh, we have. So. We're using more, this is actually more of a standard search. What oh, we're yeah. Doing. The truncated model number with a wildcard, upper right-hand corner, downloads flag highlighted in that search box. Once you get used to it, it's very simple. Watch the screencast. Just look for the screencast and you'll see it'll explain everything that I'm talking about there. So speaking of talking about, I wanted to move on to more technical topics. It's the Tech Talk segment. Tech Talk segment coming at you right now. We're not even going to take a break. We're going to go right into it. <sighs> it's a marathon. We're nutty. We're goofy. So this first thing I wanted to get into is like a, I wanted to wrap up and hopefully continue, uh, continue and hopefully wrap up this idea of surge suppressors and power strips and we this is um continuing on a little bit from the last episode where we talk about surge suppressors versus gfcis and then some of the questions came up that some people think that all power strips uh you know a cord with a multiple outlets on it that all of those are surge suppressing and the answer is no that's not that's not absolutely not true they're they're they are neither necessarily surge suppressing nor do they have gfci built into them unless they explicitly say so. And you've got to read the packaging uh, uh, literature that it came with, turn around, read the fine print embossed on the back of it. If it doesn't say surge suppressing, if it doesn't say GFCI, then it is neither. Now, you can go to Amazon and you can search for things like power strips and you will pull up a mix of power strips that both include surge suppression and those that do not. Um, it, but it, it again, it must specifically say it. Just because something is a power strip doesn't mean it has these other features unless they call it out. Now, you go to Amazon again, and you search GFCI power strip. You're going to pull up some very industrial-looking uh, power strips. Most power strips are not GFCI power strips. Those are kind of a specialty item in and of themselves, and they're mm -hmm. used like at construction sites and things like that. Yeah, I can see that. For safety. Yeah. So your, your garden variety power strips that you're going to find are going to be, most of them are going to have uh, some type of surge suppression. Again, it'll call it out or won't be either. Now, then some people get confused about the fuses that are uh, on sometimes uh, included with a power strip. Some power strips have them, some don't. The fuse that's built in there is simply an overcurrent device. It is not a GFCI unless it specifically says and then it's going to be it's going to look like any other gfci at your in in your home or installed on, on a wall outlet with its own reset and test button um, the, the other kind of fuse that you will see on sometimes on power strips is a little button that pops up that's just overcurrent 
That is not GFCI. Again, to review what GFCI is, ground fault circuit interrupter. And it is measuring that current coming in online and going out on neutral. It is measuring that differential between the two. And if it sees a differential difference in current between those two lines, line and neutral, not ground, line and neutral, if it sees a differential in those two currents, as it's, it's as small as 60 microamps, something like that, hmm. it will trip because it's assuming that that leakage is going to ground. And, and then it will, it will trip and open the breaker. That is not the same as a little button popping up. That's an overcurrent button. Um, so totally different uh, type of fuse technology. The overcurrent button simply works on, say, if it's rated for 15 amps and you're drawing 17 amps, it's going to pop. And it's just a, a, a heat response type thing as the current flows through it. Nothing fancy, no differential measurement going on there. So... All right, I hope that clears that up. The other thing, and by the way, this a lot of these come out of um, things that uh, are talked about over at Appliantology. So, mm -hmm. um, and I, I figure if, if techs are talking about them there, then there's probably, it probably makes sense to discuss them a little bit here. Sure. And maybe other people listening and other techs who are listening to the podcast and didn't happen to catch particular topics or comments and things. Um, and maybe they'll, they can pick up on it this way. The other thing, though, that came up was this idea of centrifugal switches. So it turns out that uh, in, in a particular dryer that the uh, heater wasn't coming on. Um, and so s there was some speculation that, well, possibly it was the idler pulley wasn't pressing enough on the motor to engage the centrifugal switch totally wrong and misunderstanding of what a centrifugal switch is, how it works, and what it does. Okay, the very name, centrifugal switch. Think of centrifugal force. And what is that? Spinning. Well, so, yeah, spinning. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking centrifugal, something spinning. Right, you're spinning round and round. So you take a, a weight on a string and you spin it round and round. That, that weight or rock, whatever it is on the end of the string, is experiencing a centrifugal force. And that's that circular force. So a centrifugal switch depends on that circular movement. It is built into that motor. And as that motor gets up to speed, and the, the spec is actually about 80% of rated RPM, when that motor gets up to that 80% rated RPM, there's little weights in there. And, they're, and it's, they're, they push against springs. And the weights then can overcome the springs that keep them uh, in the pushed in position. The weights overcome the little spring and then makes connections with switches. Pretty crude, all mechanical, and a dynamic mechanical, but it works. And this is, this is how a centrifugal switch works. Idler pulley pushing against the motor has nothing to do with it, no bearing on it whatsoever. The only thing that affects centrifugal switches, again, from that description, what? Is spinning. RPM. Yep. There you the go. The rotational speed of that motor shaft will definitely affect the uh, centrifugal switch operation. So if you're having an issue where a centrifugal switch is not actuating or you suspect that's the case, that tells me from a troubleshooting standpoint that I need to be looking at things that could affect that motor's RPM. Is there excessive drag? Ah. Is, do, do, is it have the right voltage? Is there something else going on externally or internally in that motor that's keeping it from getting up to speed? Or is there a bunch of crap and lint stuck down in there? In some, some cases, it can get in there enough to actually impair the operation of a centrifugal switch in some configurations of that switch. So that... Um, all right, I very to, techie talk. I wanted to, to dispel that centrifugal switches are used all over in almost every dryer out there. You're going to see a centrifugal switch because the con general configuration is it's the centrifugal switch in the motor must close in order to connect L2 in an electric dryer to connect L2 to the other side of the heating element. L1 comes through the controls, typically. L2 comes through that centrifugal switch in the motor. So if the motor's not running you're not going to supply 240 to the heating element and you don't want that. And they do that by deliberate design for obvious reasons. You don't want the heating element sitting there running with no air blowing through it. You get a meltdown, maybe, uh, or damage at least. Mm -hmm. So, and then the other third thing I wanted to talk about is this idea, uh, it's an abbreviated, you're going to see it abbreviated a lot. And again, this comes out of some discussions at Appliantology, NTC and PTC. Um, seems like uh, it's, uh, there's some confusion about what this is or not knowing what these stand for. Um, and I'm going to explain that real quick. NTC, negative temperature coefficient. PTC, 
positive temperature coefficient. Now, coefficient, negative temperature coefficient, positive. This is real techie sounding. Yeah, it's a little confusing. It, I can see why it might be a little yeah. problematic. And really, the, the way, if you really want to understand this, and I'm going it, to, it's going to be a little bit kludgy by audio to explain it, be easier to show it very simply with a, with a graph. But these things come out of graphing. So if you can imagine a graph with a y axis that's vertical and an x axis that's horizontal, right? And so you would have so your x-axis would be temperature your y-axis would be resistance or voltage drop and this is all in relation to thermistors or sensors they're, they're called various things thermistors sensors same same thing thermistor a resistor whose resistance changes with temperature thermal um. Ister. Thermal resistor. Yep. Yeah. So that's where that comes from. And now, now back to the graph thing. And that's just to by, I say that by way of explaining the graph. The y-axis is resistance. If you can just visualize this, very simple graph. I'm not going to do anything weird with you. Um, the y-axis is resistance or voltage drop, whichever one it is. And then the um, x-axis is temperature. In a PTC, remember you know, the equation for a line, y equals mx plus b. Just ignore B for a minute. Just imagine B is just the offset for whether or not it goes through the origin of that graph or not. But M is that coefficient. If that coefficient is a positive number, say plus 1, um, then your graph will go upwards as it proceeds along the x-axis. So as temperature increases, the resistance will increase. That is a positive temperature coefficient. In other words, temperature and internal resistance of the thermistor or sensor are directly related one increases as the other increases that's why it's a positive coefficient right some might remember the word slope, slope. which is the same thing right but this is where all this stuff comes from so i'm giving you a little background here in story form for where this ntc ptc terminology comes from and you won't understand it unless you understand that it really comes from simple equations plotting temperature and resistance and based on this very simple um equation for a line y equals mx and ignore, again, ignoring B because that's just unnecessary complication at this point. So M being our coefficient, what if we make that a negative one? Uh, now, because what that means now is as temperature increases, R is going to decrease. And so the line is going to slope down as your temperature goes up. So now as your temperature increases, the resistance of that thermistor will get smaller. That is, that they, are, they are said to be inversely related. Right. So the, the key is just to remember, we're talking about as temperature increases, is it going, is the resistance going to increase or decrease? Right. And if it increases, then it's positive temperature coefficient because that, that, y, that M coefficient in that Y equals MX plus B is, is a positive number, some positive number. If it decreases, if the resistance decreases as temperature increases, it's a negative temperature coefficient because M is a negative number and they are, the resistance and temperature are said to be inversely related. And you will also hear that uh, terminology come up and, at times too in other applications, but same idea. So, and we've also now given them the answer that they asked in high school algebra, will I ever need this in real life? Yep. Well, there you go. Great, great You've point. You've just used algebra. We don't use a whole lot of math as text, but there's a couple cases where it really, really helps. And this is one of them, understanding this NTC-PTC business, what it stands for and where it comes from. So you're not just being a monkey and regurgitating things. You want to have a deep understanding about what you're dealing with. This is one case where math is it's very simple math, right? Mm -hmm. Y equals MX, M times X, um, is the equation for a line, simple stuff. The other place where it's very um, necessary to know, and again, we're talking simple math, seventh, eighth grade math, is electricity, Ohm's law. In fact, you're not going to understand electricity, is my contention. You will never understand electricity unless you understand Ohm's law and how to manipulate those simple little equations around E equals I times R and, and the, and the, the uh, corresponding power equations. P is equal to I times E and the stuff on the Ohm's law right. pie chart. Yep. Simple little things because it keeps that relationship clear between voltage, current, power, resistance. Otherwise, you're going all on anecdotes and stories and, you know, current follows the path of least resistance and all this kind of monkey business that are and half-truths that will confuse you. 
Um, so that's another case. So yes, you will use uh, math as a technician. I mean, I learned some. It, listen, listen, guys, I was a high school dropout when I went in the Navy, okay? I was 17 years old. I, was, I, I left after my junior year. I was basically flunked out my junior year. I wasn't do, doing anything. Always thought I was horrible at math, right? Because it was taught by government school bureaucrats. Went in the Navy. I, I'd scored good enough on the ASVAB somehow to get whatever. And I knew I wanted to learn how to fix airplanes. I wanted to learn electronics. And so I got that. I, I was trained, went to training at, um, for A school um, on uh, basic electricity electronics and then avionics technician school. I was learning math up to trigonometry. You know, we had to learn, we had, because to, for example, to add up um, capacitive reactants and inductive reactants, they have to be added vectorally because they are out of phase with each other. And so you, you need trigonometry to resolve that and, and to add vectors together. And I was learning it there. I mean, sine, cosine, tangent. Oscar had a hairy old ass. I mean, this is how Petty Officer Crow, one of my instructors in A school, taught me. <laughs> and you know what? It, 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 they know how to teach teenage miscreant boys mm -hmm. stuff that, so that they can be effective at their jobs. Look, if I was able to learn this stuff in the Navy as a high school dropout, I know you guys can too. So we're not talking about, and you're not getting, you don't have to get into vector addition. You don't have to get into trigonometry for the stuff that we do. We're not dealing with electronic circuits like I had to learn and like what we were dealing with. The stuff we're dealing with is relatively orders of magnitude simpler, and we're just dealing with simple little equations. So don't yeah. be scared of it. If I could learn it, anybody can learn it. It's just a matter of how it's taught. And, and if you, whether or not with me, it also helped that I had a clear application for how I was going to use it. It's like, oh, I see it because now I can figure out how this circuit works. And, and now I can understand how to troubleshoot it and what needs to be done to it in order to repair it. And that was the whole idea to get stuff fixed. There was a concrete, tangible result from my learning this stuff. So, yes. I think all of this, that the foregoing that we've talked about here, power strips and surge suppressors and GFCIs, centrifugal switches, NTC, PTC, it points out one very important thing, guys, and that is you have to know what right is. You have to understand how things work and how technology works if you're going to be able to analyze what's wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, here's a simple example. It takes no math at all. I was out on a service call. Oh. Couple days ago, something. Yep. Saturday, I think. Um, and uh, and this I, for this refrigerator, man, a bottom mount. And uh, the problem was that the freezer door would only open out halfway; would not even open out more than that. I'd been out on this uh, same unit before, just a week prior, for a different problem where somebody had slammed the basket down, and that was wonked out, and the door wouldn't close right. So it was just a matter of readjusting the basket on that. Well, she got the bright idea that she was going to go, oh, look at that icky black grease on the rails. I'm going to wipe it all clean. So she probably <laughs> used some cleaner, got it all sp spotless clean. Well, so now what happened? What happened with that? So the, one of the rails and frosted shut was actually frozen shut and would not extend. There it's a matter of you have to you have to be able to analyze either the mechanical motion or the electrical action of something, understand how it's supposed to work in order to understand what's right. And then, in this case, uh, I, I used my steamer to clear that rail. And you want to have the right tools on right. hand to be and able to fix it. And then you must have had to add some lubricant. I did. I added some uh, some lubricant to, to restore that uh, and prevent that from happening again. And, hey, haven't had a call back since. I so. know. Well, I love that job because, I mean, it, it, it's so simple. Yeah. But you had to know what to look for, what was supposed to be there and what wasn't. Right. And well, then surmise and ask the customer questions, you know, because she didn't offer that. Uh, information no, I had that no she idea. cleaned it. I, I had to deduce that, wait a minute, this, this thing is squeaky, this metal is squeaky clean. There's normally, you know, if, you, if you've handled any of these rails on these Amana or any bottom mount, they're kind of greasy and deliberately so because you don't want frost accumulating on them and causing them to stick. So when you pull the drawer out, when it comes to about halfway, that inner rail that's embedded in the other rail that's concentric with the other rail should start extending out as well well that wasn't happening so the drawer only came out halfway <laughs> so, so it's a good thing i'm not such a uh, you know enthusiastic cleaner i guess <laughs> yes there are some things that are not meant to be cleaned and i told her no more cleaning All you right. stay away from this so speaking of staying away let's uh don't you guys go away we're going to take a break right now and we're going to be right back after this, you're listening to Master Samurai Tech Radio. 
Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. And welcome back to Master Samurai Tech Radio. Uh, this is a brand new segment yes. that we're going to talk about. And I want to credit and give a shout out to Brandon Lucero for suggesting this. This is like exactly the kind of suggestions we're looking for from you guys, our listeners. Uh, what kind of stuff do you want to hear us talk about? And Brandon, let us know. Thanks, Brandon. This is Tool Talk. We're going to talk about different types of tools. Uh, that are useful, that I found to be useful, maybe that we hear from you, that you found to be useful, and it could be actual real tools uh, or business tools. Right. Well, I think this makes perfect sense. I'm surprised we didn't think of it, I actually, because, I mean, you, I, one thing I've noticed is you guys love to talk about oh, your tools. we do. And, but if, when, he, when Brandon, and Brandon Vox me, by the way, I'm on Voxer. You can give me a shout on Voxer or just, just search Samurai and you'll find me. And Brandon Vox me, let me know, said, uh, hey, man, what, you guys need to talk about tools. And I'm, I like smacked my, I literally, I took a hammer and I smacked myself in the head and went, oh, why didn't I think of that? And ow, my head hurts. Yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't do that anymore, but... So in this, in this uh, segment here, I want to talk about first some tools that I use on every job, and that is every single job. I use my headlamp, and I use my knee pads. And those may sound really kind of simple. Mundane, but I tell you what, no other tool has such consistent use as these two things. My headlamp that I use, because I mean, especially as I get older, my vision gets dim, and if you're not properly lit up, brightly lit up where your hands are, that's your work area. Your work area is defined as where your hands are. And if you're not properly lit up on your work area, uh, you're gonna miss clues. I found this out the hard way. So I use a headlamp that just kicks the light out. It's a Princeton Tech. You can get them on Amazon. We'll put a link to it in the podcast thing, but it's got, of course, the headlamp. It's got the center strap that goes over the head. It's got four LEDs that kick it out. It's also got a super bright center kryptonite LED or whatever they call it, but it's super bright. Mm -hmm. And it takes four AA batteries in a pack that rides in the back of your head. And I use Duracell rechargeables, the uh, uh, nickel metal hydride rechargeables. You can get those from Amazon too. I'll link from those. So I, I recharge those. So and I keep two sets of them. So I've always I'm always starting off my lineup of service calls with a fresh set of batteries. So I'm not buying new batteries all the time. And it works great. They easily last all through the service calls. I will often have my headlamp on the entire time I'm on a service call, looking well, at different. Except for when I'm talking, and I always forget to you know I go to talk to customer on the headlamp. <laughs> still on oops sorry yeah <laughs> so. well one of the things i've picked up from from uh, listening to you all these years is one of the key things of being a technician is attention to detail yep and that applies to so many things but while you're on the job it means the details need to be illuminated right because so you're not that, yeah, and you're gonna, they're clues I, I call them clues you're going to miss out on those, how <laughs> something comes apart for example it could be a little uh, embossed little arrow with a little triangle pointing to something like you'll see on some of the Samsungs or some of the GE stuff where you have to do some disassembly and I mean it, whatever it is I mean everybody you guys all have your own examples of that but uh, details is all about in focus and details and your headlamp just helps keep your attention focused plus it also lights up things that you would not ordinarily see and of course your hands are free right uh, yet you still have control over it as opposed to like a clip-on light or something yeah. like that and it's, it stays on there securely so I'm, when I'm on my side working whatever my light is still securely affixed to my head and it's lighting up wherever my hands are so the other thing I use are knee pads and primarily you know a lot, a lot of guys say oh save your knees Mostly, yeah, I guess it does that, although that's not the main reason I use them. I use knee pads primarily to save my pants. Mm -hmm. I found out the hard way. I was taking otherwise perfectly good uh, work pants and wearing out the knees, or they were fading out, so it looked really weird, you know, the, the, so the knee part, knee section of the pants were much, much more faded than the rest of the pants, and it, it would, it's not a good presentation. Right, you want to have a professional image. Right, and so, and so this way, it saves the pants, although it's going to protect your knees as well, too, but 
Um, so even b- before I ever go down on the ground, and most jobs I'm, I'm doing something on the ground uh, to inspect, to listen, to whatever, to measure, and, and I make sure that my knee pads are on before I do that. And the ones I use, I actually got from Sears, and they're very thin, and they fit nicely in my uh, tool backpack on the front pouch there. I don't even know that Sears is making them anymore, but they're very simple. They're thin, uh, dense foam that go right on there, and so they're not these huge, big honking, heavy-duty types. They're very thin, very light, very flexible, with a single Velcro strap that attaches them. And that's because, again, all I'm trying to do is save my pants. Um, and give, if it gets a little bit of knee cushion at the same time, eh, all the better. So, but those are the two things that I use on every single service call. We'll, we'll talk about other th- job, other um, tools and things that are used that I really like um, uh, in some later episodes. But those are the two I wanted to go ahead and throw out there and maybe stimulate you guys to share your uh, favorite tools and talk about those. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to share. I was just going to say, we'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't hesitate. Do not hesitate. So the other tools I wanted to share are related to operating your business. Mm -hmm. And actually one is a more of a tool or a way that we do business. And then the other one's sort of like a uh, technique. A communication. Communication technique. One of them now... I get the, I get asked this a lot. How do I uh, organize, run, manage my service call business? Do I use some type of software? Well, yeah, but it's probably not anything that you've heard of unless you've heard me talk about it before. And it's an app called Tap Forms, T-A-P Forms, and um, it's a it's on the Apple Store. It's a Mac iPhone app. It also runs on iPad and um, iMac, but it's 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 strictly for the Apple ecosystem. So, mm-hmm. But the idea is it's a custom database program. And so I take this and I, I just created a database structure for my service calls, you know, customer name, a type of appliance, model number, problem description, problem work done, you know, all that kind of stuff that you would normally have on your paper uh, work order, service order, invoice, whatever you call it. Except this is always done on my phone. So I filled all this stuff out on my phone, completed all there, and then I email them the completed copy when I'm done. So I always get a customer's email address. So no paper. I don't give them like a, a paper receipt or anything right there at the, on the spot. They get an email from me after the fact. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I use. And I also, it, it keeps a record of all my customers and, and it going all the way back and it's searchable and it's been... For me, it's it's been just right. Again, we're we're a small operation, mom and pop shop, literally. So this works for us, particularly this other way. Yeah, of, <laughs> this is probably going to surprise people. Yeah, for as techy as we are, and as and as much into using the internet and all as we are, to manage our service calls, we actually use paper service call chits. We call them, and that's a, a name yep. term. Chits. Old C- school. C H I T S. So I'm not saying you know. Mm-hmm. I'm saying. Chits. They're little slips of paper and they make a carbon. And so we write it up customer's name, phone number, address, and all that type of appliance and the problem description. These are, it's all handwritten. And then these chits are hung up on the side of our refrigerator with three <laughs> different color clips. Green meaning it's scheduled and we'll have on the bottom of the chit, it'll have the date and the, the time of the service call. And the, then the, the second clip is yellow, meaning we're waiting for parts to be able to go back out to, and, and reschedule and go complete the job for this customer. Or red meaning uh, it's in the customer's ball, uh, ballpark. Uh, we're waiting for them to give us a, a call back with a go ahead or not. Right. So we started doing this in the 90s. So, you know, it was before uh, computers had a lot, you know, before there was a lot of software out there for managing stuff. And it works for us because we work together out of the same home. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Obviously, if you're a a multi-tech operation, this is not a a scalable solution whatsoever. And it would not even be appropriate for you guys. But I thought it might be amusing for people (laughs) to hear how we actually run our service business. And this is, this is how we do it. So I go out on a job. I've actually got a little mini clipboard that fits in my admin bag right in front of my iPad. And I pull that out and all my service call chits are clipped to that mini, mini, uh, control, mini uh, clipboard. And then I'm, I make notes on that at the, at the job. You know, what part number this, ju- this was used or is needed, what the total repair ran, what was done. I make notes to myself, like maybe I'll use a postum on the back of the chit and make notes on that. 
So it's it's all very old school, but it it works for us because of our um, small scale situation. Right, and we've over the years we're we're so used to the visual of having that paper when we're organizing yeah. our schedule and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have a hard time. And switching. we did look into using uh, you know more full scale modern integrated software management systems for it, but it's like the learning curve, the fuss. Right. I mean, uh, that's definitely the way to go if you have anyone that works with you that's not on premises with yeah. you pretty much all the time, right. like, like a, a husband and wife team. Right. Exactly. Yep. So, and then the other tip I wanted to pass along was something I got from Appliantology. And actually, Dan in Kansas recommended this one as instead of doing confirmation calls for service calls the day before, he actually sent, and, and confirmation emails, by the way, uh, I don't, a lot of people are not plugged into email enough for it to be a timely and reliable method of communication. We have experience oh, with that. Oh, we've learned that. Yeah. Dan uses confirmation texts. So, and I'm like, wow, what a fantastic idea. I mean, so if most people have cell phones, get your cell phone, get the, when you, when their CSR books the call, get the cell phone number and send a confirmation text to that. We're going to start doing that, getting people's cell phone numbers and send out a confirmation text. Now, it, no shows for us has not been a huge problem, but it could be, and this is an easy enough thing to do. Right. And we have had problems. See, why not do a confirmation email? Because we get their email address anyway. Well, we had a thing recently. Oh, yeah. Somebody submitted a, um, a, a service call request to us via email. I wrote back 15, 20 minutes at the most later. And then the next day, she called me and said, well, I sent in an email. And I said, well, I wrote you right back. She said, oh, I haven't gotten around to checking email yet. Yeah. That, and so so yeah. that kind of blows my mind. I mean, people will send in an email. That, I mean, she actually went to our website and sent in a service call request. You know, it's all email, right? And, and also, a, a, so a, um, an acknowledgement gets immediately auto-sent back to her. But why would you send in an email service call request and then not check your email? Well, because you're, 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 you know, at least they're getting on board yeah. with the, the email, the digital revolution, but they're just not quite people, there people yet. People aren't making that connection yet. So that's what I mean. It's an example of how in, in a lot of people, the way a lot of people think these days, they've still not fully integrated things like the internet and email. They're more tied into their phone. It's much more immediate and they, they get a notice right there. Or, uh, you know, without having to actually go someplace like email, even if they get it on their phone, there's still this extra thing they have to do where the phone actually, when they get a text, blips at them. Right. All right. Well, I think uh, that's enough for that. And um, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap it up here. And just want to remind everybody to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We do post our podcast uh, episodes there. And also you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. So either one of those, if you want to automatically get the episodes, we just want to once again, encourage comments and suggestions, topics you'd like to hear us talk about suggestions for improvement. Um, we're available through all kinds, you know, social media, Facebook, Twitter, that kind of thing. Yeah. Contact forms at Appliantology and Master Samurai Tech and Voxer, as I mentioned before. Yep. And, and be sure to check out our blog post for this podcast episode as mm. well and mm -hmm. or the YouTube, uh, we always put these on YouTube as well, right. because in the, the description, we will have useful links to the things we've talked about. Exactly, right, and so I'll be uh, conveniently linked right there for you, you just gotta click them and, and you can check them out, get more information on the uh, different types of equipment and stuff that we've talked about in this show, so. All right, thanks for listening. Yeah, really appreciate you guys tuning in, downloading, listening, and especially your comments and feedback, so. Uh, hope everybody has a great week and sayonara.